0: We can make a difference.
1: Did you know that Jason and the Argonauts predicted podcasts? How, you may ask? Well, here it is.
0: support the past from the the job again.
1: Everyone, I'm Em, and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 151, Jason and the Argonauts. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. As always, a huge hi and welcome to everyone listening to this podcast. Whether you are a long-time returning listener, whether you're a short-time returning listener, or whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here because. I'm going to talk about the history and legacy of Jason and the Argonauts, which, wow, I literally feel like this podcast was made to talk about Jason and the Argonauts, and it's taking me 151 episodes to get here, but I'm here now, and I'm really, really excited. This is the first movie in a little mini series that I'm doing, which is called Heroes Across the Decades, and I wanted to start with the 60s, and it just made so much sense to do Jason and the Argonauts. But before I do, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to previous episodes, the most recent ones being Dodgeball and A Scanner Darkly. And both of those are very different subject matters, but never let it be said that I don't mix it up on this podcast. I like to talk about all sorts of different movies, all sorts of different genres, and there's not really much that's as different as a sports comedy and a drug-induced paranoid sci-fi they're kind of about as different as movies can be and this episode I'm actually going to be doing a movie that my own dad saw in the cinema when he was 12 years old in 1963 and I feel like I've now given away how old my father is Uh, (laughs) but imagine seeing this as a 12 year old and have it just completely blow your mind and many view Jason and the Argonauts to be the best movie that Ray Harryhausen ever did, including Tom Hanks. And if Tom Hanks says it, well, then it must be true. But even Harryhausen himself regards this as his finest work. And I'm sorry, you don't disagree with anything Ray Harryhausen says or does, because he is the absolute master. So to be honest, that is really, really hard to disagree with. Let's have a listen to the trailer for Jason and the Argonauts.
2: Jason and the Argonauts, the classic story of an epic voyage that has been told and retold since the birth of Western civilization, now presented on the screen for the first time. Fall! your hearts crack and your backs break! Jason and his band of Argonauts, the mightiest warriors the world of adventure has ever known, in search of the fabulous magic golden fleece. Where will you find this miracle? I have heard there is a tree at the end of the world with a fleece of gold hanging in its branches. Here is the magnificent excitement of that legendary time when men like gods, and gods like men, lived and loved violently. Todd Armstrong and Nancy Kobach portray the classic lovers. Jason, the man who challenges the gods. Medea, who betrays a kingdom for love. Acastus, driven by a lust for power. Hera, goddess and woman, who defies the might of Zeus, king of the gods, who unleashes his fury at rebellious mortals. The Argonauts, caught in the clutches of the towering bronze giant Talos. The Argonauts, battling vulturous harpies. Jason, threatened by the Seven-Headed Hydra. Medea, the Temple Dancer. Mysterious, exciting, and exotic. Jason, battling the Army of Skeletons. Kill, kill, kill them all! one man defying a universe of mortal and immortal dangers jason and the argonauts research that became a legend
1: Jason has been prophesied to take the throne of Thessaly. When he saves Pelias from drowning, but does not recognise him as the man who killed his father, Pelias tells Jason to travel to Colchis to find the Golden Fleece. Jason follows his advice and assembles a sailing crew of the finest men in Greece, including Hercules. They are under the protection of Hera, queen of the gods. Their voyage is replete with battles against harpies, the giant bronze statue Talos, a hydra, and the children of the hydra's teeth, all brought to life by the special effects wizardry of Ray Harryhausen let's quickly go through the cast of this movie we have Todd Armstrong as Jason Nancy Kovac as Medea Gary Raymond as Acastus, Lawrence Naismith as Argus Niall McGuinness as Zeus Michael Gwynne as Hermes Douglas Wilmer as Pelias Jack Willem as King Aetes Honor Blackman as Hera Patrick Troughton as Phineas and Nigel Green as Hercules Jason and the Argonauts has a screenplay by Beverly Cross and Jan Reed, neither of whom are female despite being called Beverly and Jan. I realize that both used to be male names predominantly and nowadays tend to be seen as more female names, but I actually did have hope that this was an early example of an all female writing team, but sadly no. <laughs> I was really confused when I found out that Beverly Cross and Jan Reed were male. Jason and the Argonauts is directed by Don Chafee, and is based on the Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. And as I said, the start of my Heroes Across the Decade season starts with the original superheroes, the stories of the gods of Greek mythology. One of my favourites, Jason and the Golden Fleece, was a story I read a lot as a child. The story of the Prince of Thessaly, who goes on a quest to obtain the powerful Golden Fleece, and in order to do it, has to complete three seemingly impossible tasks. The origins of the story, named the Argonautica, was written in the 3rd century BC as an epic poem by Apollonius of Rhodes, or as he's credited, Apollonius Rhodius, a prized Greek poet of the Hellenistic period. He was a scholar and keeper of the Library of Alexandria, and it's thought that many of his texts were used to provide valuable knowledge on Greek life and law to the Ptolemies of Egypt. The Argonautica is his only surviving epic. The rest of his poems survive only in small fragments. He was originally considered an imitator of Homer, however, while his poems were considerably shorter than Homer's, it's also said that Apollonius himself influenced later poets like Virgil and his Roman epic the Aeneid. The Argonautica, as the only surviving Hellenistic epic, was translated into readable English and retitled Jason and the Golden Fleece. The movie Jason and the Argonauts follows the same rough story, but with a few notable changes such as Hera not attempting to drown Pelias, but instead disguising herself as an old woman, enlisting Jason's help to cross the river, and him losing a sandal in the process. Also, the Argonauts encounter Talos on the return journey in the poem. He guarded Crete and didn't protect treasure, but Queen Europa. The harpies were chased away, instead of caged. The Argo is saved from destruction by the clashing rocks, not by Triton, but by the goddess Athena, providing extra push for the ship once a dove signalled safe passage. And in the original text, Acastus didn't betray Jason to King Aietes, as Jason bluntly told the king he was after the Golden Fleece, and the king promises Jason the fleece if he can complete three impossible tasks, which he does with the help of the love of Medea. Instead of a hydra guarding the fleece, it was a dragon, and Jason sows the dragon's teeth himself. It also only covers the first half of the story, as Jason and the Golden Fleece also covers the return journey, Presumably a sequel to this movie was expected at the time, but never happened. More on that a little bit later. But to start this miniseries of heroes, when I say hero, I'm not just talking about the hero on screen. I'm not just talking about the character of Jason. I'm also talking about a literal hero of Hollywood. And that hero is, of course, Ray Harryhausen. And the influence of Ray Harryhausen is undeniable. Filmmakers who claim to have been inspired by Harryhausen include the likes of Steven Spielberg. Peter Jackson, Joe Dante, Tim Burton, Nick Park, James Cameron, Guillermo del Toro, George Lucas, John Lasseter, John Landis, Henry Selick, J.J. Abrams, and Wes Anderson, basically some of the biggest names in Hollywood have all been influenced or inspired by Ray Harryhausen to some degree. Ray Harryhausen, after being turned down for a job at Disney, which he'd later say was the best thing that could have happened to him, he was actually inspired to become a filmmaker by seeing King Kong in 1933. But he got his first professional job working for George Pal on a series of stop-motion shorts called Puppetoons in the 1940s. Then the war happened and Harryhausen was drafted into the Army Signal Corps assigned in the film unit. This led to him discovering over 1,000 foot of outdated 16mm colour film stock in Navy stores after the war ended which led to him learning and experimenting with animated fairy tale shorts with the help of his father creating the armatures and his mother creating the outfits for the characters. At the same time, Ray Harryhausen was studying the work of Willis H. O'Brien, the model animator responsible for animating King Kong. Harryhausen telephoned the visual effects maestro at MGM Studios, which led to an invitation to show off his early models. The pair stayed in touch and after the war, Harryhausen became O'Brien's protege, and the two worked together on 1949's Mighty Joe Young, which won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects in 1950. Mighty Joe Young was Harryhausen's first full-length feature, although he remained uncredited for his work, which was reportedly 85% of the finished product. O'Brien would later pass his Oscar to Harryhausen. It was Harryhausen's next movie, 1953's The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, that cemented his work, becoming an international box office success, and the making of that movie led to Harryhausen to create and develop dynamation. Dynamation, also called dinorama, by the way this episode is presented in glorious verbal dinorama. In the 70s, dynamation was revolutionary in visual effects. It basically split the background and foreground of live effect shots into two separate images, allowing Harryhausen's animated models to be shot with the background image and the foreground element matted out to leave a black space. When the film was rewound, everything except the foreground was matted out, so the foreground now appeared in the previously blacked-out area. Essentially, combining all the images together, making it seem like one shot, and this was done frame by frame, with the live-action shots being pre-compiled and Harryhausen animating the sandwich filling, shall we say, of each frame. It eliminated the need for miniature sets, which were expensive and didn't look realistic enough. It also meant that Harryhausen animated in front of the foreground screen where any human actors were, and that included his monsters being able to look like they were interacting with human characters. Harryhausen also used diffused gas to soften the sharpness of light on the animated elements so nothing felt out of place on screen. While Harryhausen used dynamation on mostly all of his movies, not all of them were billed with the dynamation label, Jason and the Argonauts included. And when asked why Harryhausen wanted to work with these sort of creatures, these monsters, he would say that he wanted to instil pathos into his creatures, most of whom he saw as simply innocent victims of circumstance. It would be ten years after the draw-dropping success of The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms that Harryhausen would evolve into colour film through his partnership with producer Charles H. Schneer for his biggest hit of the 50s, 1958's The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Harryhausen had successfully adapted Dynamation to maintain proper colour balances and after Sinbad's success came a deal with Columbia for four more pictures, all in glorious colour. Harryhausen and Schneer moved their production base from Hollywood to London to utilise the expertise of British studios and crew as well as to have the ability to film in European locations, something that would prove very fruitful for Jason and the Argonauts. The second film of this particular deal was indeed Jason and the Argonauts, And although Don Chafee is credited as a director, his work is somewhat overlooked, shall we say, because this is and always will be a Ray Harryhausen movie. And Harryhausen himself was notoriously hands-on through the whole production, being heavily involved in the pre-production conceptualising of each film's story, script development, art direction, design, storyboards and the general tone of his films. Reportedly, it was Directors Guild of America rules that prevented him from taking more credit. All of Harryhausen and Schneer's collaborations were director for higher geeks, which meant they wanted someone capable of directing, but also capable of following their very precise instructions. Harryhausen originally conceived of the idea to do Sinbad and the Age of Muses, with Sinbad teaming up with Jason, but decided to go with the legendary myth of Jason's quest for the Golden Fleece instead. And sometimes it's easy to forget that this is a movie that stars actual people because I think the people in this movie tend to get a little bit overlooked too. Both Todd Armstrong as Jason and Nancy Kovac as Medea would be dubbed by Tim Turner and Eva Haddon, respectively, reportedly due to the rest of the cast being British and them being American, so they felt they would sound out of place. Todd Armstrong had always wanted to act, but he had found little success, so he became a gardener, and one of his clients was actress Gloria Henry, who arranged a screen test for him at Columbia Pictures. It was this screen test which got him a small role in the TV show Manhunt in 1961 and then another small movie role in 1962's Walk on the Wild Side. Todd Armstrong was reportedly quite upset that his most famous role had been dubbed and while he continued to act, he never received the same level of popularity as he had had with Jason and the Argonauts. Nancy Kovac was a model and one of Jackie Gleason's Glee Girls before appearing in popular TV shows like Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. This movie also stars a pre-pussy galore on a blackman and the scenes with the gods looking down on Jason on the table of the gods were filmed in front of a yellow sodium screen which was a precursor to blue screen and this was done at Shepperton Studios here in the UK. Filming for Jason and the Argonauts took place between September and October 1961 in Italy with the Talos scenes at the beach of Palinuro and the harpies at the aptly named First Temple of Hera at Poistum with the rest of the filming concentrated in Salerno. The most famous scene, The skeleton of took place at the coast at Ferraccio. The Argo itself was built over a fishing boat and was powered by three engines that reportedly cost 10% of the film's budget. The same ship was used in Cleopatra after they sold it to 20th Century Fox to recoup some of the purchasing costs. The episodic nature of the story of Jason and the Golden Fleece led to a series of encounters That the characters in the movie could have with Harryhausen's creatures. It was Harryhausen's most expensive and detailed production up to this point, and every set piece would culminate in one of his creatures, from the meeting with Talos, to the harpies tormenting Phineas, to the seven-headed Hydra protecting the Golden Fleece, and the pièce de résistance, and arguably Harryhausen's finest piece of work, the children of the Hydra's teeth. And these are scenes that still look incredible today. Despite modern animators attempts to make it better and increase frame rates. There's actually several videos of these attempts on YouTube. And honestly, I argue they look no better. Go and have a look on YouTube, find those videos of increased frame rate of Harryhausen's monsters. I really don't think they look better than what we already have. Over the intervening years, Harryhausen had become better at what he did, but also more ambitious as well as precise. He would regulate the temperature in his studios because experience told him that a slight shift in temperature would affect the color of his models, which would then show in the finished product. He was the consummate professional, but he was also a bit of a workaholic, often working overnight to get things finished. Talos in the original myth of the Argonautica was only eight foot high. His size was increased to be imposing and that feeling of fear that you get when you see his head move for the first time as a child, I will never forget it. Harryhausen wanted Talos to be the size of the Colossus of Rhodes in the movie, but made of metal, meaning that his movements had to be stiff and creaky. In reality, the model of Talos was 14 inches tall. Compared to the other creatures in Jason, Talos was the easiest to create and film. His death, by Jason going for his literal Achilles heel, was the release of "ICA, the lifeblood of the gods, was achieved by Harryhausen animating red cellophane to look like pouring liquid. The Hydra was a totally different beast, literally and figuratively. Harryhausen had the idea for a seven-headed beast, and then the realisation dawned on him that it might be quite tough to animate a seven-headed beast. With all the animation problems all those independent heads presented, if he stopped during the animation process, He would forget which head he was working on and what that head was supposed to be doing. Harryhausen's monsters could interact with humans, such as when Jason slays the beast with a sword, that sword then becomes embedded in the monster's chest. And this was really important to Harryhausen, to have that magic on screen so that you genuinely believe that as soon as a human being plunges a sword into this hydra, that the hydra then has this sword in its chest and dies. Ray Harryhausen always said that he disliked working with winged beasts because animating flying creatures was more difficult than those that have their feet or paws or claws on the ground. And yet in pretty much every single one of Harryhausen's movies, there is a flying beast or a winged beast or something that flies because he just genuinely liked to continue to push himself. And with modern definition and with high def TVs and DVDs and Blu-rays, when you look at the harpies, admittedly, you can see the wires that make the harpies fly. But I don't care. I really don't care that you can see the strings because it just adds to the charm of this scene. You can see the love and detail that goes into all of these monsters. Harryhausen loved to push himself. I love to see that on screen. And just to add as well, he worked alone on his animation. He didn't have a huge team of people helping him. He didn't really have anyone helping him. His father continued to do the armatures of his monsters for a short while. But otherwise, Ray Harryhausen worked alone. And because he did work alone, his sequences took as long as they took. And generally, they took quite long. But there's one scene in this movie that I would say that pretty much everyone on Earth has either seen knows of and that is the Skeleton Voight scene it's also called the Children of the Hydra's Teeth scene and it really is the crowning glory of a career that literally spanned decades and has influenced not only so many other filmmakers but so many other films as well like Sam Raimi's Army of Darkness this particular scene itself is a masterpiece because it's mesmerizing and terrifying in equal measure And this is because, as Harryhausen himself would ponder, how do you kill a skeleton? The Children of the Hydra's Teeth is the most complex shot in Jason and the Argonauts. Firstly, to have the three actors be choreographed to convincingly fight skeletons. This was achieved by using choreographed stuntmen, which the three actors rehearsed with beforehand. And the actors filmed the memorised scenes. They were fighting against nothing, which is harder than it looks. And obviously, once that scene was filmed, that scene then went to Ray Harryhausen to animate seven individual skeletons, which is something that he had never achieved before. But I guess like with everything else Harryhausen did, he was like, well, why the hell not? For all his animated scenes, Harryhausen would draw storyboards and he'd ensure that while he pushed himself to do literally the best that he could, he never storyboarded anything that he felt was impossible. For the children of the Hydra's teeth, It would take him four and a half months to animate this sequence. And this sequence is less than five minutes long. He averaged 13 frames a day and that was half a second of film with five moving appendages on each skeleton and seven skeletons. That meant each frame containing all seven skeletons had 35 moves for Harryhausen to animate per frame, which is quite incredible. If you think not only do you have to know what each skeleton is doing, You also have to know what the other skeletons are doing and where they're supposed to be and where the humans are supposed to be. It's literally like a mathematical equation on every single frame of this movie. I think that's why I love it so much. And some of these skeletons as well have actually been reused because the seventh voyage of Sinbad also had skeletons. And so what Harryhausen did was he reused some of the ones from the 7th Voyage of Sinbad and then created new ones for Jason and the Argonauts because there had to be seven skeletons. And because these skeletons were immortal, there was only one way they could be defeated. They were pretty certain that skeletons can't swim. And so when it came to the deaths of the skeletons, they really did throw seven plaster skeletons into the Italian ocean after a stuntman. And they could only do that shot once because... Once you throw seven skeletons into the ocean, you can't really retrieve them to try again. And those skeletons are probably still there in the Italian ocean at Faraccio. So if you're ever at Faraccio in Italy, at that particular stretch of coastline and you fancy doing some diving, there might be some skeletons there, but don't worry. They're not real. To be honest, I expect after almost 60 years, they've probably disintegrated by now, but still. There's a possibility that there are actual Harryhausen skeletons in the ocean. It goes without saying as well that Harryhausen didn't just animate creatures either because every time a creature held a human, that human was also a creation of Harryhausen. Considering all the work that Ray Harryhausen did and all of the movies that he worked on, he amassed a huge collection of models and props. And so he set up the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation in 1986 to look after his extensive collection, but not only that, to protect his name as well and also further the art of model stop-motion animation. It's estimated that there are in excess of 50,000 items in this collection, including original armatured models, hard rubber stand-in models, armatures, original moulds, original artwork, original miniatures, stills, negatives, original equipment, paperwork, screenplays, various test and dailies footage, books, and many influences as well, such as the paintings and lithographs by Gustave Dor, John Martin, and Willis O'Brien. Harryhausen, like me, rarely threw anything away. This is why my house is such a mess, but unlike me, it's why Harryhausen's collection is near complete and contains so much original material. Many of the original items are incredibly fragile. And they're too fragile to travel. So much of the collection isn't exhibited. But what the trust does is it actually preserves and maintains that collection. Ray Harryhausen would never win an Oscar for his visual effects achievements, but he would win an honorary Oscar in 1992 and would receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2003. He would be referenced in Monsters, Inc. and in Corpse Bride as well. His death in 2013 at the age of 92 would result in tributes from an industry he irrevocably shaped. His legacy is in his movies, which remain timeless, but also in franchises like Star Wars, to which George Lucas has suggested would not exist without Harryhausen's influence. And a really interesting fact that I found out, not so much about this movie, but actually about the voyage of Jason and the Argonauts, was that explorer Tim Saverin undertook something called the Jason voyage in 1984 with 20 volunteer oarsmen in a hand-built 54-foot replica of a Bronze Age galley based on a scale model of the Argo. They rowed and sailed from northern Greece, through the Dardanelles, they crossed the Mamara Sea and passed through the Straits of Bosphorus to the Black Sea, reaching the Phasis Delta in then-Soviet Georgia, a voyage of 1,500 miles. Along the way, they identified some of the landmarks visited by Jason and his Argonauts, and found a possible explanation for the legend of the Golden Fleece, detailing it in his 1985 book, The Jason Voyage, The Quest for the Golden Fleece, that the Golden Fleece may have been a mythic exaggeration of an actual Bronze Age practice, whereby sheep's wool was used to filter out gold ore. And this was apparently a more effective method of finding gold than the more famous panning for gold, which I knew literally nothing about but the fact that An Explorer actually went out to prove that Jason and his Argonauts could have sailed to Colchis to find the Golden Fleece is very much the thing that I like to find out on this podcast. I mentioned that Peter Jackson was one of the people who was influenced as a filmmaker by Ray Harryhausen. And he would round out his love of Harryhausen by providing a commentary on Jason and the Argonauts, along with visual effects artist Randall William Cook which provides a lot of really wonderful information about the making of the movie. And although we lost Ray Harryhausen in 2013, his work is everlasting. And it's as immortal as those skeletons that he put to screen. And in 2021, the Ray Harryhausen Awards were announced to celebrate his influence on contemporary filmmakers and animators. And these awards have categories on Best Feature Film Animation, Best Short Film Animation, Best Student Film Animation, Best Commercial Film Animation, Best Online Film Animation, Best Television Animation and the Harryhausen Hall of Fame Award. The inaugural ceremony is due to take place on what would have been his 102nd birthday on the 29th of June 2022. So that is the 29th of June this year as of recording. More information on that ceremony can be found if you go to www.harryhausenawards.com. And I'm very interested to find out because as a bit of an animation super fan, I'm genuinely so interested as what movies and films and short films are going to be nominated and are going to win the Ray Harryhausen Awards because he was really a champion of stop-motion animation. And he, if anything, has proven to the world, not that the world needs proof, that animation is not just the black sheep of filmmaking. It's an art in its own right and it enhances everything that it's included in. Someone else who enhances everything he's included in is Keanu Reeves. And I'm going to move on to the obligatory Keanu reference, which is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And uh, yeah, this, this is an interesting one. So put your seatbelts on for this one. (laughs) So Keanu Reeves was born in 1964. Obviously this movie came out in 1963. So Keanu Reeves wasn't even born when this movie came out. So I was a little bit like, how am I going to link him to Jason and the Argonauts or Ray Harryhausen or mythical beasts of any description? And really the only thing I could come up with was that because Keanu was born in 1964, he was probably conceived in 1963. (laughs) So yeah, the dates do not work at all. And it would be literally so late in 1963 that it probably isn't even 1963, but that is what I'm going with. Jason and the Argonauts came out in 63 and persuaded Keanu Reeves' parents to bless themselves with a son of their own. Some of these obligatory Keanu references are so bad. Some of them I'm so proud of. That is not one that I'm particularly proud of, but I'm going to go with it anyway let's talk about the music for Jason and the Argonauts because the music is by Bernard Herrmann, who is known for his collaborations with Alfred Hitchcock and Orson Welles, and he would score many of the sword and sandal and mythological fantasy films that Harryhausen worked on, including The Seventh Boy, of Sinbad, Mysterious Island, and The Three Worlds of Gulliver, as well as, of course, Jason and the Argonauts. And his score actually self-borrows from his other previous scores for other movies like The Kentuckian, Beneath the Twelve Mile Reef and Five Fingers. Bernard Herrmann himself was an influencer, and I don't mean in the modern Instagram or TikTok type. Other famous composers like John Williams, Elmer Bernstein, Jerry Goldsmith, Howard Shaw, Lalo Schifrin, James Horner and Carter Burwell all consider Bernard Herrmann a profound influence on their compositions. Jason and the Argonauts was released on the 19th of June, 1963. But as it came out in 1963, Box Office Mojo doesn't really go that far back and it doesn't really tell you a great deal of box office information about 1963. However, I do know that Cleopatra came out in 1963 and Cleopatra actually was released the previous week. Obviously, Jason and the Argonauts didn't do anything like the business Cleopatra did because Cleopatra would become the highest grossing movie of 1963. But let's not forget that without Jason and the Argonauts, Cleopatra would not have that boat that they bought from Jason and the Argonauts. So, in a way, the success of Cleopatra is somewhat attributed to Jason and the Argonauts. And Jason and the Argonauts cost about $3 million in 1963, which roughly equates in today's money to about $28 million. Movies don't really get made of this quality. In today's climate for $28 million. Just imagine the sort of movie you could get like Jason and the Argonauts Day and how much it would cost. So it's it's just incredible. The literally the amount of incredible work in this movie, and it costs the equivalent of just $28 million. Obviously, I say just $28 million because we're talking about Hollywood money, we're not talking about real money. Jason and the Argonauts would go on to make $2.1 million domestically in the US in 1963, which was obviously less than it cost, which made it a box office disappointment. But it's gone on to become a beloved cult classic. It actually did so much better business in the UK and Europe, but ultimately not enough to justify a sequel. And critically, Harryhausen's work is always well regarded, even if people don't really like the rest of the movie, they will always say Ray Harryhausen's work just transcends everything else around it. And Jason and the Argonauts maintains an 89% score on Rotten Tomatoes and many, including Harryhausen himself, regard it as his best work. I alluded to a sequel earlier on and the return journey of Jason and the Argonauts was planned as a movie. But due to Harryhausen's work on the Sinbad sequels, and obviously the fact that Jason and the Argonauts didn't do as well as they'd hoped, meant that it never materialized. What we did get was a five-issue comic book miniseries called Jason and the Argonauts, the Kingdom of Hades in 2007, from Tidal Wave Productions' Ray Harryhausen's signature series. And that continued the story of that return voyage. That was followed by a four-issue miniseries called Jason and the Argonauts Final Chorus in 2014, which chronicled Jason and what he did with The Golden Bleece. There was also a TV movie of the same name in 2000, starring Jason London as Jason. But, I've never seen it, I'll be honest. But, given the choice, who would see that over this? Because I don't think anyone would. If you would, please let me know. And if you have seen it, please let me know. But I really don't think that it's actually worth the, what, 15 seconds that I've spent talking about it, because I, it's probably quite bad. Let's move on to some social media thoughts. I like to find out what people think about the movies that I'm featuring. I like to ask the patrons of this podcast, the wonderful patrons of this podcast. And I also like to ask people on social media what they think. And I'm going to start with the patrons, as always. And I'm going to start, as always, with perennial commenter Andy, who I do not sew a hydra's tooth onto this podcast every episode just for Andy to sprout up because he doesn't comment on every episode, but he does comment on the majority of episodes. And I'm so grateful to Andy because I can pretty much always guarantee that Andy will be there for a supportive comment. And
3: Andy says, what is there to say about Jason and the Argonauts that hasn't already been said? So I'll just tell a personal story about how the work of Ray Harryhausen captured my imagination. When I was nine years old, I saw an ad for Clash of the Titans. I was amazed by the creatures and the depiction of Pegasus. It was because of Harryhausen's work in Clash of the Titans, I realised the wonder of stop-motion animation in a film that captured my imagination in a way that it hadn't been since I first saw Star Wars. Jason is a marvel of filmmaking and a must watch for fans of both Greek mythology and film nerds. And there's a high possibility
1: a very high possibility that I will come to Clash of the Titans at some point very soon on this podcast because Pegasus itself is an absolute marvel. And one of my favorite things that I found out doing research for Ray Harryhausen was him talking about how they animated Pegasus and the fact that with Pegasus, they thought, well, how would a horse fly? What would it do with its legs? Would a horse just put its legs like at its side to slide? Or would a horse, like, have its legs straight to fly? And they went through all of these ideas for what would a horse do with its legs while it was flying? And Ray Harryhausen was like, well, obviously it would gallop in the air. And it's just such an obvious thing that a horse would obviously gallop if it had wings. But the fact that they animated that when they could have gone for the easy, a horse with (laughs) its legs down its side, like a bullet through the air, it's honestly, one of my favorite things. And I'm a huge fan of Clash of the Titans, but I just wanted to share that little tidbit. But what I also want to share is obviously, if a patron of this podcast has a podcast of their own, then I will give that podcast a bit of a plug. And so absolutely, you should have a listen to Andy's podcast. It is, of course, the inimitable Geek Salad. They are a podcast that basically celebrates geek culture and everything to do with geek, whether that's movies, music, TV shows, games, literally anything and everything. I'll put some information in the show notes for Geek Salad. They are a completely wonderful podcast. They are a group of wonderful people. And Andy has been so supportive of this podcast since pretty much day one. So I'm so grateful to Andy for his support and uh, for making me think of that wonderful Pegasus quote. The next patron
3: comment comes from Brendan. And Brendan says, Ray Harryhausen may have made better films than Jason and the Argonauts, but few were more ambitious and arguably none were better showcases for his talents at bringing the fantastic to life. From the Bronze Colossus to the Hydra and the legendary fight against the Skeleton Soldiers, Harryhausen serves up one dynamo set piece after another, passing the way for how modern effects-heavy blockbusters are made by never losing his signature handcrafted feeling. The actors in his films don't always measure up to their stop-motion co-stars, but Jason and the Argonauts benefits by being an Avengers-esque assembly of larger-than-life heroes and appropriately mythic undertakings for a package that is arguably the definitive Harryhausen experience.
1: I do think it's really hard to say what is the best Ray Harryhausen film because I do think everyone has their own personal favourites. But I do agree, I feel like Ray Harryhausen never lost his signature appeal. And yet he always pushed himself to be better than his last movie, to do more than his last movie. And yeah, the actors don't always measure up. But I really feel like that was on purpose. I still feel to this day that they were like, well, we don't care about how bland the actors are because we really want Harryhausen's creatures to shine and they definitely shine. This episode's final patron
3: comment comes from Laurel and she says, It's epic fun and Harryhausen's stop motion is iconic. However, I must acknowledge the Orpheus erasure and the portrayal of Jason as anything other than the second biggest scumbag in all of Greek mythology who only succeeded with the help of a much more powerful woman. Hashtag Team Medea. And basically, if
1: anyone's going to know about that, it's going to be Laurel, because she hosts the podcast, The Midnight Myth, and that is basically the podcast for all your mythology needs, as well as history and philosophy, and basically how those topics appear in our modern pop culture. So if you do want to know more about Greek mythology, then Laurel really is the person to speak to. And if you are interested in her podcast, The Midnight Myth, which she hosts with her husband, Derek, then I'll put some information in the show notes for The Midnight Myth. Right, we're going to move over now to Twitter. And we've got quite a few comments, actually, this time on Twitter and Instagram. I was shocked. And we're going to start with At30 Podcast, who said, We did a Patreon episode on Clash of the Titans last year, one of my favourites growing up. And I have loved Jason and the Argonauts since I was a toddler. I always hear of people talking about VHS tapes being ruined because people paused and rewound on scenes with nudity. Mine was rewinding and re-watching the initial scream and charge of the skeleton army. I thought that was terrifying and hilarious as a little kid. I also tore up the couch cushions and rearranged them around the living room pretending to climb on rocks to fight the Hydra. You sound like such a cool kid. At MrLondon underscore NCB said, Love this film when I was a nipper in the late 70s, early 80s. Felt like it was on TV almost every Sunday afternoon as the matinee. This was the proto Clash of the Titans, the good one, not the awful recent remake. At DW Lundberg said, The story's a little stodgy, but it plays about as well as Clash of the Titans did 19 years after. And those Harryhausen effects all have more personality and invention than most CGI today. At Danny Brown CA said, It's Ray Harryhausen's best work, and given his library, that's saying something. The famous skeleton scene took four months to shoot and it only lasts three minutes on screen. That's the dedication the man had to his craft and he inspired so many of today's effects legends. At Movies work said, One of my favourite films. The work on the skeleton army alone is some of the best VFX work in history. At Swayze of Arabia said, Such a classic film with great storytelling, great performances and of course the effects from the man, the myth, the legend, Ray Harryhausen. At Cap understands said, have you seen the version on YouTube that has the stop motion up to 60 frames per second? And as I said, yes, I have seen it. And to be honest, I don't think it looks all that better. That's just my personal opinion, but I really don't think it actually looks all that better. And at HarryMcMovies said, used to love this as a child. It's definitely on the list for Harry. Is this the one with the skeletons coming to life in it? Absolutely. Yes, it is. Moving over to Instagram, at 76 said, This is one of my favourite Ray Harryhausen films. When I was very young in 1981, there was a Harryhausen movie marathon on TV and I was completely enthralled with the creatures in this film as well as The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. A few weeks later, Clash of the Titans opened in theatres and my family went to see it. I remember telling my parents on the ride home that my favourite parts were the scenes with Bubo, Pegasus, Medusa and the Kraken. I could have cared less about the overall story. I still love Harryhausen's work and will happily watch his films any time they are playing. At Dave underscore J underscore BAMF, This is Dave from Not For The Dinner Table. Hi, Dave. He says, This film was my gateway into Greek mythology. In my opinion, far better than Clash of the Titans. And I am surprised this hasn't had a remake yet. Is it on the cards? And can we talk about Honor Blackman as Hera? Those scenes where she would whisper to Jason at the bow of the Argo This is the perfect movie for a rainy Sunday afternoon. At Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast said, Love this movie. Huge wave of nostalgia seeing the poster. Still stands today for me. Plus, as a kid, I remember being flabbergasted at what I was watching. Triton Scene was one of my faves. And finally, at SP underscore Film Viewers said, Based on our Clash of the Titans review, this wouldn't be to Sophie's liking, but I think it's one of the best examples of Harryhausen's work. And that is from Paul. No comments over on Facebook, but a huge thank you to everyone who's provided comments for Jason and the Argonauts. There aren't really words that will aptly describe how this movie makes me feel. Watching it again for this podcast, because of course I bought a physical copy of it, because I didn't own it, and now I do. And now I own Jason and the Argonauts forever. It's amazing. Watching it just brought back so many childhood memories of seeing this movie for the first time and just being so blown away by this movie. Ray Harryhausen was unrivaled as a master of special effects. If these movies didn't have Harryhausen's creatures, if these were just men in suits pretending to be monsters, this would not be the movie that we take it for today. This would just be a movie with some pretty bland acting, mostly nondescript, but it wouldn't have that star-making quality, that essence to it that makes it so timeless. As I said, just now, I feel like they purposely made the actors a little bit bland because Harryhausen wanted his creatures to shine. And I really don't have a problem with that. I really don't think that the actors in this movie need to be better than they are. One of the things that always kind of winds me up a little bit is when movies like this are wheeled out as an example of effects that were in inverted commas, good for their time. Stop motion nowadays is amazing. It's some of my favorite stuff to watch. It's some of my favorite stuff to talk about on this podcast. I've talked about Ardman movies. I talk about Leica movies. And some of the things that those studios are doing is incredible. But to say that Jason and the Argonauts is just, in inverted commas, good for its time, is seriously undermining the ground that this movie and it's Harryhausen and schneer Snable mates broke in terms of inspiring generations of filmmakers. That's like saying music from the 60s is good for its time, but can't hold a candle to someone like, I don't know, Harry Styles. Because good art is timeless. Jason and the Argonauts is my favourite Ray Harryhausen movie because I can remember watching it as a kid and being wowed. I can remember watching it as a teenager and being wowed. And I can remember watching it as an adult and still being wowed every single time. This is one of the reasons I went into podcasting in the first place, and I wanted to talk about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't, because how movies are made is and remains incredible and fascinating. How one man can be responsible for so much of the history and legacy of film in general is incredible. Not just one movie, but a one-man pioneer of visual effects. Modern Hollywood has tried to remake a Harryhausen movie. In 2010, we had Clash of the Titans, which was a fine, maybe not great, but it was soulless. It was a soulless remake. And the original was Harryhausen's last movie. And as I've said, I have a lot of love for that movie, especially Pegasus and Medusa as well. How wonderful is Medusa in that movie? Jason and the Argonauts is going to be 60 years old next year. And I hope, I really hope people make a huge fuss of the 60th anniversary of this movie because this movie deserves it. It may not be well regarded for its human actors, but the fact these people acted against nothing deserves quite a lot more praise than they actually get. I kind of don't care that the rocks in the Triton scene are floating. If you look closely, you'll notice that the huge rock faces are floating. I don't care. I don't care that I can see the harpies' strings. Because to me, this is one of the greatest achievements in all of film, not for what it is, but for how it makes people feel. And not just this movie either. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, Clash of the Titans, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. The way we feel about Ray Harryhausen is the way we feel about his movies. They're just masterful and awe-inspiring. And honestly, there's no doubt I'll revisit another of his masterpieces on the podcast again. Probably, let's be honest, it might be Clash of the Titans because much like Harryhausen himself, Once I get into something, not only do I like to see it through, I also like to try and better myself every single time. Honestly, anything to compare myself to Ray Harryhausen, really. We all watch movies to be transported to new worlds or to understand new cultures or to find out things that we didn't know. And growing up reading Greek myths and legends and to see Ray Harryhausen bring those creatures to life is just one of the most wonderful things that this podcast could celebrate. And I'm so happy that I finally get the opportunity after 151 episodes. I finally get the opportunity to celebrate one of the men who made this podcast possible. Because without Ray Harryhausen, this podcast probably would not exist. If anything, his work is underappreciated for exactly what it did. It made us all believe in monsters. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Jason and the Argonauts. And if you want to get involved and you want to help this podcast grow, that would be incredible. And there are several ways that you can do this. You can have your comments read out in episodes. If you go to social media, there are posts that go up on a Saturday for comments on the next episode. Simply write a comment on social media and I will read it out. That's one way you can get involved in each episode. But another way you can get involved is you can leave a rating or review. If you've enjoyed this episode, wherever you found this episode, you can also retweet and like posts on social media. I should really tell you the social medias, I guess. So social media accounts are at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This podcast is also on Letterboxd as well, where I give a rating and a mini review on every movie that I watch whether it's for the podcast or whether it's not for the podcast I love to watch a lot of movies so letterboxd is great for that but really the easiest thing you can do is if you do enjoy this podcast you can tell a friend or a family member about verbal diorama and you can basically spread the gospel of verbal diorama because let's be honest there's 150 other episodes out there for friends and family members to enjoy and if you enjoyed this episode I'm pretty certain that you would enjoy the other stuff that's currently out there. One of the things that I like to do every episode is I also like to recommend previous episodes of this podcast that are kind of like the movie that I'm featuring this week. So if you like Jason and the Argonauts, then I wanted to recommend some other stop motion based episodes. I cover a lot of animation on this podcast. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. And so I've done quite a lot of stop motion movies already on this podcast. So I wanted to recommend the following episodes and also the movies as well. That's really important because verbal diorama, you can listen to the episode without necessarily watching the movie, but it's enhanced. If you've already seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to recommend to you episode 29, Kubo and the Two Strings. That is a Laika movie. Laika is one of the most brilliant stop-motion animation studios out there. They've done some fantastic work. They also did a movie called Coraline, which is episode 63. I would highly recommend anything Laika have done, but especially Kubo and Coraline. I mentioned I've also covered some Aardman stuff. Episode 78 is on the incredible chicken run, which is getting a sequel very soon. But The original Chicken Run is one of the best and funniest stop-motion movies. Episode 84, Fantastic Mr. Fox, is obviously, I mentioned him above, the Wes Anderson movie. And it's very much a Wes Anderson movie, but it's in stop-motion. And it's a lot of fun. It's an adaptation of the Roald Dahl book. And episode 135, Corpse Bride. Corpse Bride, as I said, recognises Ray Harryhausen in the movie by having a piano called a Harryhausen in Corpse Bride Cobbs Bride was also worked on by Laika before Laika Studios became their own independent entity. All of those movies are incredible examples of stop-motion animation. They all owe a huge debt of gratitude to Ray Harryhausen in different ways. But I would recommend all of those movies. And before anyone says anything, or even if you're thinking it, that you don't want to watch an animated movie because it's a, in inverted commas, a children's movie, don't even go there. None of those movies are just a kids' movie. They are family movies. They are suitable for everyone. But as an adult, you will get so much out of each of those movies. Give me feedback on my episode recommendations. Let me know if you think I missed anything. Next episode, I'm continuing Heroes Through the Decades. So I started in the 60s. And now I'm going to be going to the 70s, you guys. And Ray Harryhausen may have made us all believe in monsters, but in the 70s, this movie made you believe a man could fly. Yes, we're going to 1978, and we're going to Superman the movie. Not the first big screen Superman, because there were other supermen that came before him. But Christopher Reeve was third build in his own movie. This is the original Man of Steel. This is also the highest grossing movie of 1978. Join me next week, as I'm going to be going through the history and legacy of not only Superman the movie, but Superman in general. And this is the first time I'm going to be covering a Superman movie on this podcast. Quite a momentous thing. Whenever I ask for recommendations of stuff to cover, people always say, will you do Superman? So now I'm actually going to be doing Superman. I want to take the opportunity to say a massive thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. If you want to become a patron, you can do. You If you go to VerbalDiorama.com Patreon, And you can choose a Keanu-themed tier, because, of course, the tiers a Keanu-themed. And the people who've done that really do help the future of this podcast. They help with me buying equipment and getting subscriptions and all of that cool stuff. Any money that's raised through the Patreon gets plowed back into making this podcast better. So a huge thank you to the patrons. To Simon E., Shade, Claudia, Simon B., Laurel, Derek, Vern, Christine, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D, Jason, and Sonny. Let us continue the game another day. I also have a merch stories verbaldiorama.com/merch, where there are the mummy themed t-shirts that you can buy if you're really into the mummy, as I am and as we all should be. If you want to get in touch, you can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com and you can say hi. Or you can go to verbaldiorama.com and you can fill out the contact form on there. And I write stuff for Film Stories. So you can find the stuff that I write at filmstories.co.uk and you can also buy the copies of the magazine that I write in as well. And finally... I think that proves at last that I'm a worthy opponent, my lord.
2: Where are you going?
1: To clear the board. The game is
0: over.
2: It certainly is not.
3: Bye.
0: What does hope mean to you? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I am the host of the annual live stream for the cure, a charity live stream event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute, which researches immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. Their mission, one that I believe in very, very strongly, is a future immune to cancer. And this year for the sixth annual live stream for the cure, I want to emphasize more than anything hope over the past five years myself and amazing creators and partners from around the world have raised over fifty thousand dollars for this amazing cause and this year we're looking to add another twenty thousand dollars to that total please join me may 19th starting at 9 a.m eastern for 45 hours of content over the next three days as i'm once again joined by amazing creators from around the world to help fight for hope Learn more or make an early donation today at LivestreamForTheCure.com.